experiment is a success. Oh my goodness. I do think the creature is trying to say something. I just can't make it out. Let me listen more carefully. Welcome to the 2020 Archive Halloween Special. Showcasing beloved favourites and forgotten gems, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Ramsgate in Kent, England. It's a warm welcome to the 2020 Cinematic Sound Radio Network's Halloween special. I am your host, Jason Drury, thanking you very much for joining us once again. It's a big hello as always to our listeners at cinematicsound.net and for whatever great podcast provider you're joining us from. It's great to have you with us. And if you're listening to this program through Apple Podcasts, please take the time to rate and review this show. It really helps get the show noticed and also helps new listeners find the program. We now, as you may know, have a new merchandise store where you can buy an archive logo t-shirt or from any other of your favourite cinematic sound radio network programmes as well as hundreds of other items including some limited edition apparel. To see the swag on offer, go to Tee Public. The link is strategically placed on the webpage. Now for new listeners to the show, the archive is dedicated to new releases of older scores from film and television. During each show, I will also mine the vast film music archive of our very own cinematic sound radio shovel to unearth beloved favourites and forgotten gems. Now this is part one of one of episode 26 of the archive. Surely you were not expecting a two-part Halloween show? You can't do part of an archive show in the middle of November, can I, Mr Woods? Now we started by paying tribute and by playing the main title theme from a true 
horror classic. The Bride of Frankenstein from 1935, the first sequel to Universal Pictures' 1931 Frankenstein. It is widely regarded as one of the greatest sequels in cinema history, with many fans and critics considering it to be an improvement of the original Frankenstein. As was the first film, Bride of Frankenstein was directed by James Whale and starred Boris Karloff as the monster. The sequel features Elsa Lancaster in the dual role of Mary Shelley and the titular character at the end of the film. Colin Clive reprises his role as Henry Frankenstein and Ernest Felscher plays the role of Dr Septimus Pretorius. The movie starts as the immediate sequel to the events that concluded the earlier film. Chastened Henry Frankenstein abandons his plans to create life only to be tempted and finally coerced by his old mentor, Dr. Pretorius, along with threats from the monster into constructing a mate for the monster. And that's not meaning one you go down the pub with. The film was a commercial success, earning $2 million, or five times its production costs of $397,000. It was also critically praised. It secured only one Academy Award nomination, for best sound recording. James Well was impressed by Frantz Waxman's score for Lillon, and in a fortuitous meeting during a Christmas party in 1934, he offered him the scoring assignment. Waxman was only provided with a 22-piece orchestra, and so had to be resourceful, using an organ to double up on his instruments so to enlarge its sound. He was tasked by the film's narrative to speak to the grotesque, but also the loneliness, isolation and revulsion expressed by the characters. What Waxman finally created was a full-blooded, spine-tingling, haunting, eerie, effective and groundbreaking score. Composer Max Steiner had led the way into this new world of dramatic underscore with his music for King Kong in 1933, and Waxman in his defining addition to The Bride of Frankenstein, not only raised the bar, but suggested limitless possibilities for the future. Waxman composed this score using classical motifs, providing a total of eight themes, each contrasting and very distinctive, so as to flesh out story, setting and actors. They included the monster theme, offered a grotesque and dissonant flutter-tongued horn declared five-note identity. A second theme associated with the monster supported his anger alienation, agitation. Juxtaposed to this was the bride's theme, a softer, constant and feminine, lyrical three-note identity, emoted by strings and woodwinds, with harp glistening adornment. Despite his appearance, the monster in the film is portrayed as a sympathetic character who longs for love, friendship and acceptance. The bride is idolised in conception by those around her, hence the romantic auras of her theme, but yet she herself is not a sympathetic character. There is no tenderness, lovingness and empathy from her, only robotic animation and repellent shrieks. For the villain, Dr. Pretorius, Waxman offered a dark, woodmind, rich mysterio, which perfectly captures his diabolical nature and sinister ambitions. Now what we're going to play for you is music from the film's finale and the score's highlight. The 11 minute cue for creation, which Waxman builds up the tension with a steady timpani beat representing a live beating heart about to be joined to the bride's brain. The cue's climax 
is legendary. As Frankenstein and Pretorius remove the diffusion bands, subtle strains of the bride's theme sound as low woodwinds follow by an orchestral shriek as her eye bandages are removed, revealing her alive, opened eyes. As her bed is tilted upwards, she reaches out and the men stare in wonder as her now overworldly theme carries the moment. A screen dissolve reveals her now standing tall in a resplendent white wedding gown. As she observes the room, Victorious declares, The Bride of Frankenstein! And celebratory bells embellish her sparkling theme, now rendered in a grand statement. A soft drum interlude supports the approach of the monster, and the repeating statements of his theme carry his progress. As they meet, his theme, now tentative, interplays with hers, now rendered by apprehensive horns, closing with uncertainty as she recalls from him in horror. You will then play the cue the tower explodes and finale, which reveals the monster unable to bear this final rejection. He goes berserk, intent on destroying everything. The monster pulls the power overload lever, but initiates a cascade of violent explosions which destroys the laboratory tower. A series of violent orchestral descents support the crumbling descent of the tower. The sweetened score then concludes with the bride's theme coda, which ends in a glorious flourish. Now this classic score is one of the defining early efforts of the Golden Age, and it's a testament to Franz Waxman's genius, and is essential for collectors of the film score art. Although the safari elements of the film are not complete, there is still 35 minutes of this great score that survives in its original form. Recorded at the Universal Scoring Stage 10 in 1935, the orchestra conducted by Konstantin Bakalaikov. These thankfully include most of the major sequences, including, of course, the creation sequence which you are about to hear. Mike Matissino and his team must be congratulated in restoring this 85-year-old recording to a superb level. It is a fine advertisement of the technology used today to restore these great classic scores. So without further ado, here now is more of the original recording of the 1935 classic horror sequel, The Bride of Frankenstein, with original score composed by Franks Waxman.
That was music from the 1935 classic horror sequel, The Bride of Frankenstein. The original score composed by Franz Waxman, with the orchestra conducted by Konstantin Bakalankov. This wonderful original archival soundtrack recording is available from La La Land Records. Unearthing the hidden treasures of film music's past, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Now next up, I'm going to play selections of music from The Woman in Black, the 2012 supernatural horror film directed by James Watkins and written by Jane Goodman. It was the second adaptation of Susan Hill's 1983 novel of the same name, which was previously filmed in 1989. The film starred Daniel Ratcliffe, Stephen Hines, Janet McTeer, Sophie Stuckey and Liz White. The plot set in early 20th century England, follows a young, recently widowed lawyer who travels to a remote village where he discovers that a vengeful ghost of a scorned woman is terrorising the locals. Signed on, the score of the project was horror master, composer himself, Marco Beltrami. Beltrami over the years has often shown off his talent in the genre with melodic and harmonious strengths in his stronger efforts such as Mimic and the Scream films. The score has everything one would expect of a horror score. You have screeching strings, unsettling whispers, eerie ambient textures, creepy female voices and all the other little sounds that a composer has emulated in the past. These elements do an extremely effective job of scaring you. On a technical level, this score also is an interesting study in its impressive ability to truly frighten the listener through its combination of certain methods of inducing fear. Botromi provides two main themes. The primary one is crafted for the character of Arthur. It is a cold six-note progression. The theme effectively adds on a gloomy atmosphere of the score. There is also a driving motif which is a consistent thematic element to create tension and drive fear in the music. You hear it first in Crossing the Causeway. It's interesting to know that how often these thematic developments play a very subtle role in the score. This idea further proves how much this score seems to be more about texture rather than melody. So let's now hear music from, in my opinion, one of the most effective horror scores of the last decade. Music from the 2012 supernatural horror film The Woman in Black, the original score composed by Marco Beltrami.
That was music from the 2012 supernatural horror film The Woman in Black, with original score composed by Marco Beltrami. The original soundtrack recording was released by Silver Screen Records. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to this Archive Halloween special. Now in Archive 24, I played music from the recent release by Quartet Records of the late Ennio Morricone's now classic score to The Thing, made in 1982. Now, on this Halloween special, we're going to focus on the film that spawned the remake. The Thing from Another World, sometimes referred to as just The Thing, just like the John Carpenter version, was made in 1951. It was directed by Christian Nimby for Howard Hawke's Winchester Pictures Corporation and released by RKL Pictures. The film starred Margaret Sheridan, Kenneth Toby, Robert Cornfate and Douglas Spencer. James Arnis played The Thing, but he is difficult to recognise in costume and makeup due to the low lighting and other effects used to obscure his features. James Arnis, of course, went on to become famous as Matt Dillon in the classic TV western series Gunsmoke. Just like the John Carpenter version, The Thing from Another World was based on the 1938 novella Who Goes There, written by John W. Campbell, written under the pseudonym of Don A. Stewart. The film's storyline concerns a US Air Force crew and scientists who find a crashed flying saucer and a humanoid body frozen in the Arctic ice near the craft. Returning to their remote research outpost with the body still in a block of ice, they are forced to defend themselves against the still alive and malevolent plant-based alien who is accidentally defrosted. Now scoring the thing from another world was Dimitri Tomkin. The composer scored the film while it was being shot, allowing him to compose his music in the order in which it appears in the film. It has a note-heavy symphonic complexity that characterises most of his work. In addition to the Fermin, the score was composed for a large group of brass and woodwinds, with double basses but no other strings, two sets of timpani, flexitone wind machine, two pianos, three harps and a pipe organ. For the sci-fi films of the 1950s, the thing from another world was judiciously spotted. After the opening credits, Tonkin only supplied underscore for scenes in which the monster is present or its presence is amplified. Now, Tompkins' score for The Thing from Another World is one of the all-time popular sci-fi scores, kicking off a 1950s phase of films whose scores hyped up the atomic age threats of malevolent aliens and bog-eyed monsters. Tompkins never again worked in the genre, believing he was at his best creating beautiful melodies than such hellious sounds. But there is no doubt that he defined the sound of the genre. The score's main theme is comically simple. A chromatic ascent over a pedal which screams alarm at an impossible force and also imitates the gait of the monster. 
But it is in its simplicity that it sells the sincerity of the film and the camaraderie of its heroes. So let's now hear music from the 1951 sci-fi horror classic The Thing from Another World. The original score composed by Dmitry Tomkin. Now this suite comes from the 1999 released album Celebrating the Classics, performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Charles Gethardt.
That was a suite from the 1951 sci-fi horror classic The Thing from Another World, with original score composed by Dimitri Tomkin. The suite came from a 1999 released album celebrating the classics, performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Charles Gerhardt. The album was released on the Theme and Variations label. And if you want to hear the actual original recording of the score, that was released paired with another Tomkin score from the 1953 film Take the High Ground. And it was released by FSM Records. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the 2020 Archive Halloween Special. Now, no Archive Halloween Special would be worth its salt unless I featured one score from a director-composer who has excelled in the horror genre since the late 70s. I'm referring, of course, to the great John Carpenter. The score I have chosen for today's show is from Christine, the 1983 supernatural horror film directed by Carpenter and starring Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, Alexandra Paul, Robert Prosky and Harry Dean Stanton. Written by Bill Phillips and based on Stephen King's 1983 novel of the same name, the movie follows the changes in the lives of Arnie Cunningham, his friends, his family and his teenage enemies after Arnie buys a classic red and white 1958 Plymouth Fury named Christine. Licence number CQB241. A car that seems to have a jealous, possessive personality and a mind of its own. She was born in Detroit on an automobile assembly line, but she is no ordinary automobile. Deep within her chassis lives an unholy presence. She is Christine, a red and white 1958 Plymouth Fury, whose unique standard equipment includes an evil, indestructible vengeance that will destroy anyone in her way. She seduces 17-year-old Arnie Cunningham, who becomes consumed with passion for a sleek rounded, chrome-laden body. She demands his complete and unquestioned devotion. And when outsiders seek to interfere, they become victims of Christine's horrifying wrath. Now the score, as with most films directed by John Carpenter, was composed by the director himself in association with Alan Harreth. Working around 1950s rock and roll staples like Jaws Thorogood's growling Bad to the Bone, that's a song, the school's percussive ostinatos and doom-laden simps fashion a relentless forward march into an unstoppable doom. It is the school's intentionally repetitive nature that makes it work. Christine won't stop coming, and neither will the music. When heard in context, fused with Carpenter's signature style of visual terror, the score is highly effective. It is music stripped back to the bones, hardly high art, but fused very effectively with the narrative. So here now is music from the 1983 supernatural horror film Christine, with original score composed and performed by John Carpenter in association with Alan Harreth.
That was music from the 1983 supernatural horror film Christine, with original score composed and performed by John Carpenter in association with Alan Harriff. The original soundtrack recording was re-released in 2017 on vinyl by Varez Records. So now sadly we've come to the end of the 2020 Archive Halloween Special on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. We started the show with Bride of Frankenstein. I leave you today with music from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. The 1994 period science fiction horror film directed by Kenneth Branagh and starring Robert De Niro, Kenneth Branagh himself, Tom Hulsh, Helena Bonham Carter, Ian Holm, John Cleese and Aidan Quinn. Dr Victor von Frankenstein creates a simple creature from various body parts. The creature turns into a monster when Dr Frankenstein rejects him. Sticking close to the original novel, director Branner guides us through the story of Frankenstein's quest for knowledge and his creature's search for his father. With Kenneth Branner directing, it's no surprise that Patrick Doyle was the composer for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Whilst known mainly for its association with the Bard in the 1990s, the period between 1991 and 1994 would yield Doyle's most ambitious horror music, a sound he would not delve into with such resolve for the remainder of the 1990s or, or since in the 2000s. A trail of Dead Again, Needless Things and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein arguably represents Doyle's most darkly dramatic career material. And Mary Shelley's Frankenstein has long stood as the composer's most powerful expression of symphonic mayhem and dread. Like the abomination, everything about Doyle's score is massive, even at times over-massive. Performed with an extremely dramatic orchestral performance which will at times, when listening, blow you out of your seat. There is a force of orchestral power in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein that takes the familiar, hopelessly romantic allure of Doyle's music and injects it with so much bombast that the still harmonic burst of energy is monumentally unique, despite remaining recognisable as music by Patrick Doyle. The scope of the recording engineered superbly by Jeff Foster and Paul Hume at Air Lindhurst in London, is an outstanding asset, especially when brass layers do sonic battle. You can actually hear the full entirety and the size of the scoring stage throughout the recording. The all-out power of the Cuba creation, the true highlight of the score, approaches Elliot Goldenfall territory in its densely challenging, extremely brutal tone, especially from the brass. At the other end of the score, there's the flowing strings and flourishes of the woodwinds you would expect in this era of Doe's music, but with much greater depth. There are several melodies that run through out Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. There's a love theme for Victor and Elizabeth, which was written before the film was shot. This is the theme that expresses Doe's romanticism at its melodramatic pinnacle. The creature is provided with a wailing brass motif, once again with echoes of Elliot Goldenfall in its defiance of pitch that extends from its birth to its fiery demise in the cue, He Was My Father. The entire score is an expression of tragedy to behold. The music of Patrick Doyle since has never reached this level of pure over-the-top melodrama. 
In my honest opinion, it is one of the true classic scores of the 1990s. So, to finish off this archive Halloween special, and in a way to bookend the show, here is music from the 1994 period science fiction horror film Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, with original score composed by Patrick Doyle, with the orchestra conducted by David Snell. The original soundtrack recording was released by Epic Soundtracks. Thank you very much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed today's show. I'm off to be plugged back into the mains for a recharge. So until the next time, I dig up more musical items for the Cinematic Sound Radio Network archive show. More music I guarantee with plenty of body. For me, Jason Drury, as always, is take care and happy listening.
Thank you for listening to the archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I would like to thank Tim Burden for providing his voice on the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the program, Derek Cosina for providing the archive's intro music, and Eric Woods for letting me loose on his station. If you have any comments, questions and concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sin Sound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate the show. I want a brief review. Reviews help present potential new listeners to the show. And while you're at it, head over to Tee Public to get an archived t-shirt. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net. <laughs>